evening and good afternoon, good morning to Australia. It is so exciting to be here together, literally with women around the world in Upgrade to Awesome series. This is part one. May our learning be a schus, may it bring a refuah to everyone who needs it. And most importantly, may it bring a refuah to the world and bring Mashiach now. Oh, hello from the Philippines. Wow. And for everyone who is participating, my personal tefillah is that each of you, all of us together should be strengthened. We should get whatever we need from this series and from our being together, a genuine upgrade in the quality of your life and whatever you need, whatever and you know better than anyone else what that is. And may it lead to the ultimate upgrade that we're all waiting for, Mashiach, now. Okay, when we think about upgrading our lives, we usually think about how to influence other people, how to get other people to change, how to get our circumstances around us to change. We think of all the things outside of ourselves. And I had that as well. I used to believe that all the power in the world was outside of myself. It belonged to other people. All the important people in my life, all the people I respected, they had the power to make my day or break my day. They had the power to make it good or make it bad. And they were the ones who had the power to make me into a bad person or a good person. They had the power to make me respectable or shameful. And I often find, found myself in deep emotional pain, as, as you can well imagine. It was like being in the back seat of my own life. I didn't see myself as the one who was empowered, the key player, the main character in my story. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had no idea how to change those beliefs. You know, they tell the joke of, you know, what should you do if you're, imagine you're in a forest and you have this terribly dangerous situation, what are you gonna do? And, and of course the answer is stop imagining, right? I, all that weakness, all that disempowerment, all that, a lot of that stuff, the victim mentality was in my head. And I had no idea that I could just stop imagining it. I could just stop believing it. I had no idea that changing my beliefs would, would change everything. But one day through a series of Hashkacha Pratis, I started to connect the dots between my awareness of my neshama, my soul, and my inherent value. Each of us has a soul a part of Hashem himself that, that each of us has. That's, our, that's the source of our life. That's our godly soul, our neshama. And I realized through that, coming to really understand more about Hashem's greatness, I realized that if Hashem, the ultimate overarching supreme value in the universe, if he himself is investing a part of himself within me, if he is giving me my life, my personhood, my identity, then I am worthy in a way that is unchangeable. And my dignity and my inherent value is an absolute constant truth that nothing and nobody could change. And this change, this change of my beliefs, change of the way I saw myself and looked at the world really was the biggest blessing in my life. I got the most fantastic upgrade. It was such a blessing. And today I would love for each of you 
to experience that kind of blessing in your own life, in, in your own way. And I wrote a book about this. It's called Your Awesome Self. And it's a lot more information than we could possibly share in a couple of hours. But what we're going to do in this workshop is going to be better than the book. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the ideas and we're going to process them. We're going to take the time to absorb them, to work through them, to discuss them with questions and answers. And Be'ezus um, Hashem, it, will, it, it really could invite a lot of goodness into, into your life. So let's start from the beginning. I just want to make one little um, important note that, you know, we're going to be talking about personal work personal work that could change our lives. But I realize that I don't know you and I don't know anything about your personal situation. And I know I am sure that there is at least one person who may be listening to this live now or listening to this on the, you know, on the recording um, and your situation might be bigger more complicated than what this workshop can provide. So if there's something that feels impossible for you to implement, if what you're dealing with, if there's a pain in your life, if there's a situation that is beyond the scope of this workshop, don't use the material that we're talking about to hurt yourself more. Um, reach out. It could be you just need more help. And that's not a judgment. That's just that just is a fact, okay? So you can reach out to me personally if you're not sure. My email is sterna at energizedliving.org. That's S-H-T-E-R-N-A at energizedliving.org. And I'll be happy, happy to address your questions. Okay, so let's start. In my experience that I shared before, you know, I used to think that it was just me, that I was just the one who didn't realize that I struggled with worthiness was my own personal struggle and nobody else had that, had that struggle. And after years of doing this work, I realized that it's not. All of us, many of us are not aware of the connection between our emotions, our beliefs and our behaviors. And there's a huge connection. And many of us are not aware of the, the awesome power the awesome empowerment that we experience when we take ownership of our godly inherent worthiness and dignity. It's so, 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 so big. And it's something that, you know, after doing this work for a bunch of years, I still have new awareness and new upgrades every single day because our neshama is limitless and, and Hashem always gives us opportunities to struggle and to face new challenges and to work harder and to dig deeper within ourselves and to discover new strengths that we never knew we had. So this is a never ending journey, but it begins the first moment that you develop some awareness and that's right here and now. So in Tanya, the Tanya chapter six, the Bala Tanya teaches us about the relationship between our mind and heart in a human dimension, our human dimension, mind and heart. Let's start with a little example. It's 3.30 in the afternoon and there's a lady, Khani. She is, she knows her daughter comes home from preschool at this hour. So Khani goes outside. It's, she looks at her watch, 3.29, quickly go outside to, to meet the bus. As she's walking down the stairs, she notices that her skirt is a little dirty. There's some flour from the challah that she's been baking and so is her sweater, but there's no time to change. 
she's standing outside and while she's waiting, she's thinking, you know, she's looking at herself and she's so embarrassed. How did I go out like this? Something's, you know, what's wrong with me? I can't get my act together. And suddenly her neighbor, the one who is always perfectly dressed, the one who lives across the street in the beautiful looking house with that manicured garden, that neighbor passes by. And Hani takes a deep breath and waves to the neighbor, hi, so good to see you. But the neighbor looks at her and turns away, completely ignores her, no response whatsoever. Hani feels her cheeks get, literally she feels her cheeks get hot. But that second her daughter's bus pulls up, she gets her daughter and practically runs up the stairs to her house feeling totally ashamed of herself. And you can imagine what the next half hour looked like, right? How productive was it? How, how energized was it? How disempowered did she feel? Now, where was that emotion of shame coming from? What made Hani feel so like shameful? What made her feel so embarrassed? Was it her dirty skirt, her dirty sweater? Was it her neighbor ignoring her? Now, if you ask Hani, as I did, she'll tell you that it was both, right? It was her dirty skirt and her neighbor ignoring her, right? And in a certain sense, that's true. Because as human beings, nobody has to tell us what to feel and how to feel about our experiences. Our emotions get triggered automatically and without any effort on our part. Something happens, triggers an emotion. If you say or do something that's objectively mean to me, I will feel hurt, I will feel ashamed, I will feel mistreated, I will feel belittled. Um, and if you say or do something that's kind, and like what my daughter says, happifying, it's a made up word, happifying, I will feel happy. If it's happifying, I'll feel happy. If it's saddening, I will feel sad. But what generates that automaticity? What triggers our emotions? It's our beliefs and values, okay? Now, let's just separate this for, for a second. Whenever you look around your life, you look around at a situation, there's going to be two things. We could divide everything that you see in two categories. One is, the first category is a set of facts. There are certain facts. Facts are whatever it is that could be picked up in a camera. Facts are also our emotions. The fact is it's raining. The fact is I am in pain. The fact is she said these words. The fact is she doesn't like me, let's say. Let's say that's a fact, right? Those are facts. What we're not, we're not looking at the facts right now. We're gonna be dealing with pain at a later part in this series. Right now, we're gonna start with the area that has the biggest influence in our lives, and that is the impact of our beliefs and our value systems. Now, I know that if someone is in a lot of pain, if you're in a lot of pain, you cannot work. You cannot do this work. If you're in a lot of pain, I do have a recording about dealing with pain and you could look it up. It's on the hotline. And it's also, for those of you who have access to YouTube, I, I don't want anyone to go out and get you get access to YouTube if you don't have it already. But if you do have it already, it's on, It's there's a recording in that eight part series. Um, there's one on dealing with pain. So I know that if you're, if you're in a tremendous amount of pain, it's so hard to do this work because it feels like you're, you're being forced, quote unquote, 
or you're being told that you're the you're the cause of your own pain and that feels like not only am I, is somebody hurting me it's like someone is stabbing me and 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 the and the blood is dripping and you're telling me that I'm the one who's holding the knife it's a very very difficult thing to hear and I don't expect you to be able to hear that so but if you're not in a tremendous amount of pain this is the place where it has the most um impact um and that and that is our beliefs and our values. And it sounds like psychology, but it's Tanya chapter six. In, emotional, in a moment of emotional overload, in a situation of stress, anxiety, hurt feelings, frustration, anger, or when we face criticism or mistrust, somebody putting us down, somebody insulting us, somebody saying hurtful, belittling words, or on the flip side, okay? When we get compliments, when someone's nice to us and get a gift, when you have validation, approval, kindness, encouragement, strength, hope, right? When we're treated with love, dignity, respect, compassion, all the good stuff that we want, from the surface, it seems that the situation or the other person is causing us to have those emotions, causing us to have certain feelings, right? The person or the situation is making me happy. The person or the situation is making me sad. But on a deeper level, what the person is actually doing is they're, play, they're pressing play on the button of an internal tape recorder that exists in my mind before they even came down to the, before they even came into my life. That person or situation can only trigger our own internal system. Nobody could make us feel, nobody has switches to our heart. They could only press the buttons sorry, they could give us invitations to the courtrooms of our mind. They could bring up, they could trigger, arouse beliefs that we never even realized we had, doubts about ourselves, judgments about ourselves, insecurities, fears, they trigger that and, and, we, and we feel it. And because they were the ones who brought it up in our minds, we feel as if they did it. Now, this doesn't change the fact that they did what they did. Every single person is responsible for their behavior. Every single person is accountable. Each of us is accountable for our own behavior. But right now we're talking about what we can do to upgrade the quality of our own experiences. And emotions make up the bulk of our life. Emotions make up the quality of our experiences. And where do our emotions come from? Our, um, that's Tanya chapter six. Our emotions are directly proportionate to the beliefs and the values in our mind. Each of us has rules and beliefs that we accept as fact. And we get them because society told us or, or experience showed us when we were children, when we, and even now as adults, we still take on new beliefs, but the bulk of our, our core beliefs we develop as children because people told us or experience showed us. We, we formed conclusions from the experiences that we had. I remember, I'll never forget this little experience when one of my little girls was very little. It was her first time putting on um, skirts. She, a whole winter she had been wearing little pants and then she was almost three and we put her on skirts. It was Pesach and every single day we brought her a whole bunch of cute little adorable dresses and socks and bows. And she was a girl after a couple of boys and it was so much fun and so exciting. And every day her big sisters were dressing her and 
ooing and eyeing and marveling how cute she was. And the last day of Pesach, we went to visit relatives that we never usually see. And there were a bunch of people. It was a big family gathering. And there were people there that my kids never saw. And this little girl happens to be very shy. But she, I mean, she was shy at that point in her life. And she usually stands on the side and observes. But this time, she walked straight into the center of a circle of children she never met. She never saw, many of them are older than her. And she walked straight to the center of the circle. And what do you think she said? <laughs> you like my dress? You like my dress, right? In her mind, she had absorbed a truth. She had absorbed a rule. My dress is what makes me important. Notice my dress and that's how you notice me. Now, if, if this, if this, if, if I wouldn't have a awareness of what was going on, right? That belief left unchecked makes an adult that's so self-conscious of how she looks and associates her importance and her likability, her popularity with exactly how she looks. So we don't question or challenge our beliefs or rules. There, we, by, by the time we come to our adulthood, we have such a, su such a strong attachment to the beliefs that we developed in our childhood, to the values of what is precious and what is important, we barely notice that they are there in the subconsciousness of our minds. But those ideas impact how we experience the situations in our lives. Those ideas direct exactly how we position ourselves, how we carry ourselves, how we engage in our relationships and in the situations that we encounter. So, if we go back to the story of Hani, okay, when she, where, where did she get this idea that she's shameful? While she was walking down the stairs, while she was going down the stairs, she already believed she was shameful. She already believed that she had this rule that a dirty skirt, many of us would not have that idea in our heads, right? You're baking challah, of course your skirt's gonna be a little dirty if that was the house skirt that you were wearing, right? It's okay. Who's judging, like who's judging you by your skirt, right? But she did judge herself by that skirt. She already felt shameful just because she was wearing a dirty skirt. And so, she, and then her experience proved it. I wanna just look at my notes and make sure I am not missing anything. Sorry, give me one second. You know how when you put on a pair of tinted glasses, it changes the color of everything that you're seeing, right? So that science is the same for our minds. The beliefs that we have in our minds, they are like glasses. They're like lenses through which we experience reality, through which we um, understand everything that happens in our lives. So Wahani believed she was shameful, right? She felt that something was wrong with her. She was judging herself. That's the pair of lenses she was wearing that's the glasses that she was using to interpret, to make a commentary on her neighbor's response to her. So remember we said before, there's two things. There's the facts, and then there's our beliefs about the facts. There's our interpretation of the facts, right? Or maybe I think I said there's two things and I only said the first one in the beginning, right? There's two things. There's the facts and there's our understandings and our beliefs that create our commentary of what just happened. So if Khani would be wearing a, a different set of lenses, 
she might have had a totally different commentary, a total different interpretation, a total different understanding of what happened with her neighbor. She might have thought um, there's, there's so many other ways to understand that. She might have thought her neighbor was busy. She might have thought her neighbor was worried about something. Maybe her neighbor was so obsessed with her own dirty shoes that she didn't notice Hani's, you know, Hani's dirty skirt. But we make up a story in our minds and then we believe that story. And then, and we don't, because why do we believe that story? Because we don't even realize that we made it up. It's not like our mind comes to us with suggestions or questions. Hey, would, hey, Hani, would you like to believe that she's busy? Or would you like to believe that she thinks you're despicable and she doesn't want to have anything to do with you because you're so worthless because there's something really wrong with you and she's normal and you're not so she doesn't want to have anything to do with you right would you like to believe that she doesn't want to have anything to do with you or would you like to believe that she's busy our mind doesn't come to us with suggestions our mind comes to us with facts unchangeable facts uncontestable facts this is how it is it's unpleasant too bad this is how it is right we make up a story about ourselves. We don't realize that that story is made up. And then all of our experiences will prove to us that that, that that story is true. Now, all of us want happiness. All of us wants, we want to feel happy. We want to feel secure. We want to feel confident. And what gives it to us? What gives it to us? There's no magic. And there's no money that could buy happiness. There's no money that could give us deep security and real inner peace. All the money in the world can't buy a healthy marriage. All the money in the world can't buy inner peace. But you know what? This simple key can give it to us all. It really it can make such a such a huge difference. Hamidis lofi Our emotions will exactly directly be triggered, be triggered by our understandings, by our beliefs and our values. So in a moment of overload, what we want to do is we want to pause and try to listen to what is going on in our minds. Okay. Now this does not take away, I just want to make it very clear. This does not take away the fact that we may be dealing, you know, I'm using an example of a neighbor insulting you. Okay. If your husband ignores you it's a much we're much more invested in our husbands and in our children and in the people who are close to us if it's a good friend and maybe it's a good friend who you had a argument with right maybe it's a husband that you had an, a disagreement with or there's stress and there's conflict going on all of a sudden there's layers upon layers of of stuff going on and some of those might be facts and they might be painful facts okay so that we're not dealing with right now. What we are dealing with is that we each have a measure of insecurity and inner fear and uh, a sense of being not good enough. You know how I know? It's because we have a Yetzirah. You see, our neshama means that Hashem, Hashem himself is investing a part of himself in us. means I'm worthy. I am worthy in a way that's unstoppable and unchangeable. But the thing is, I have a Yetzirahara. And Yetzirahara is not just a Nefesh Bahamas. A Yetzirahara is not just an animal self. It's not just a human dimension. A Yetzirahara is a force of distraction and delusion. It's like you're on your way to the bank and you want to, you, you have a bank card 
and you have a million dollars in the bank or a billion dollars in the bank, okay? Because when Hashem gives us our neshama, it's limitless spiritual, emotional wealth. That is the key to our courage, to our joy, to our to our worthiness, to, to, to our peace, to everything that we want. All that emotional goodness that we want, we could activate it through activating our, our spiritual wealth because it's unstoppable and it's unconditional, right? But let's say we're on the way to the bank to cash in on it. And you meet a friend, a friend that you trust, a, a friend that you value their opinion. And that friend presents himself, you know, comes with a suit and a tie and very well dressed. And he presents himself as an expert on all things that matter. And he tells you, look, you're wasting your time. There's a long no. line at the bank. You're never going to get in. And I know your card. Lately, they're making, oh, this is a, dis it's an invalid card. Don't waste your time. Don't go in that direction. Come, I'll give you, I'll give you money. I'll give you, I'll give you what you need a different way. So we have an inner sense of, we have limitless emotional wealth inside of us, but we have a Yetzirah that's an inner force of distraction and delusion that denies that validity of that emotional wealth. It tells us it's impractical. It's irrelevant. It's not going to make a difference to your marriage. Don't even bother with it. That's the voice of our Yetzirah. And with that, we get insecurity. Maybe I'm talking not good enough. Maybe I'm talking not worthy. Maybe because my skirt is dirty, maybe uh, something's wrong with me. Maybe if I feel this way, then I don't know. Nobody else feels that way. Everybody else seems to have their act together. Why is it just me? Let me tell you, when you see other people's lives, what you're seeing is the edited version, okay? You're seeing the highlight reel. You know, when you met you, everyone, if you had a wedding in the, in the last couple of years, or if you know people who did, right, they make you a highlight reel or a few minutes and they show you the most impactful, beautiful, special moments of that full eight hours. Now, the photographer was there for many, many hours, but what you're gonna see in that video is like, oh, bliss, stunning. You won't see any of the nervous energy. You might see it just for the sake of the dramatic effect, but you're not getting the insecurity. You're not getting the fear. And on a much, much bigger level, when you see somebody walking down the street looking like they have all their ducks neatly lined up, everything is perfect in their life. What you're seeing is the highlight reel. And we judge ourselves by that. Today with the rise of social media and so much comparison and magazines with perfectly published pages, you know, I was, uh, I was featured in, in, um, on the Oprah show, right? And I have to tell you that she spent her team, team, a whole team of people spent three months editing that show that the whole show was less than an hour, right? But they spent three months editing it, making my house look better, making Oprah look better, making everything look better, making everything look different than it actually was. So that if you see that, you think, oh, wow, all that is perfect. No, it's an edited version. Whenever you see someone else's life, it's an edited version and don't compare. So that's just a side note. It was not off the topic, but that's part it's not really off the topic because it's part of why we have such deep insecurity because we see so much stuff and we see so much of that perfection and that apparent imperfection all around us i want to just say something else hashem makes everything on an equal balance so whoever has a very powerful neshama 
if the light of your neshama can shine very brightly, then the darkness of your mm -hmm. Yetzirah, your inner force mm -hmm. of destruction and of distraction and delusion will also be that level of mm -hmm. intensity. Mm -hmm. You have an active, busy mm -hmm. mind that constantly you know, takes you know. to dark places. Know mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Hashem made everything equal balanced. Your darkness, mm -hmm. your ability to get really down in the dumps, you're a very intense person. That means you have the capacity to experience intense joy. As soon as you start doing this work, you'll, with Hashem's help, you will be able to tap into that. And, and you'll thank Hashem for that level of darkness because on the flip side, it turns into so much tremendous light. But until we have the tools to deal with what's going on inside of us, we really feel like we cannot help ourselves in the face of other people pressing play on our hurtful beliefs. So what we're gonna do right now together is we're going to develop awareness of this process. And with that, Be'ezra Hashem will start to be empowered to change the way we think. And with that, we can literally change everything in our lives. So remember the glasses we were talking about before, how our beliefs are like lenses, like glasses through which we experience our relationships and everything that happens to us. So there's one huge idea that we're gonna try to connect with throughout this series. We're gonna try to make this idea part of our glasses, not just part of our glasses, but the central part of our glasses, the central belief through which we will interpret and create commentary on everything else. And that one belief, that big idea is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, the cornerstone of Jewish faith, the ultimate principle, the ultimate expression of our trust, of our relationship with Hashem and our relationship with our own inner self, our, our, our true worthiness, our true self, our neshama. Listen, Yisrael, Hashem is our personal power. Hashem is that also, he's not just our personal power up in the heavens and far away from us, not a God at large. He is our personal power empowerment and he is one there is nothing that separates him from anything we are absolutely connected to god to hashem um he is real he's practical he is relevant to our story and whenever we write a story in our minds we're gonna try to reframe that story through the lens of the fact that God is true, God is real, God, Hashem loves us, He empowers us, He strengthens us, and He alone runs the show. The one thing we're going to try to learn is instead of wearing, instead of our stories being colored with insecurity, with self-doubt, with, with those fears of not being good enough, with that shame, that toxicity that we've been carrying around without even realizing it, thinking that other people are giving it to us and really we're also giving it to ourselves not to excuse other people's obnoxious or toxicity, um, not obnoxious behavior or their own work that they need to do. I'm not excusing that, but if we are wearing insecurity colored glasses, we will feel insecure no matter how much people tell us that we are good enough. So we're gonna try to replace 
or take all those glasses in our emotional closets, brush off the dust and clean it and um, really see ourselves and see the world around us and engage in our lives from the position of Hashem's truth and from the position of the truth of our infinite, limitless, unstoppable beauty, our infinite, limitless courage, compassion, and dignity. And that's how we're going to upgrade our lives. And that's why we're calling this upgrade to awesome, because only Hashem is truly awesome. Okay, so one more, one more thought. Yeah, back to Hani's story, right? Each of us, we're going to now go into the worksheets, but each of us does this. And starting from today, whenever you feel frustrated, overwhelmed, belittled shame, like you feel yourself shrinking into your shoes because you're not good enough, you're feeling like a failure, what you want to start doing is take a look and ask yourself, what do I believe about myself? First of all, you take a deep breath to ground yourself in the present and then ask yourself, what do I believe about myself? Okay, so let's go to the worksheets. We'll start with page two, okay? Because the first one is a cover page, just gives us an outline of what's going on. Okay, I want to encourage you to take a moment, give a gift to yourself. You'll get the most out of this if you can literally sit down and give these questions some thought, even if you don't take a pen and paper, but at least give it some thought, okay? We're going to start with a very, very simple example. It's raining outside, okay? What do you believe about walking in the rain? So on the top line, it says walking in the rain is, give it any description. Can you, if you can post it on the chat, that would be really cool. If you want to post your answers on the chat, that would be helpful. You feel rain is wet. Okay. Um, is walking in the rain, I love it. It's fun. Is walking in the rain a good or a bad thing? It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> it's a bad thing. Okay. Walking in the rain, do you realize, do you see walking in the rain is fun? And someone said, walking in the rain is something I love. And someone else said, walking in the rain is a pain in the neck and it's annoying and it's uncomfortable and it's cold. So now is walking in the rain a good or a bad thing? Depends on what you said before, right? Depends on a scale from zero to five. How strongly do I believe? So if I think that walking in the rain is annoying, then obviously walking in the rain is a bad thing. How strongly do I believe it? depending on my perspective, right? So let's say for me, it doesn't take up so much space. When I need to walk in the rain, I feel disappointed because I don't like the rain. But on a scale from zero to five, how strongly am I disappointed? Not so much, right? Because it didn't take up so much space. As much room as the belief takes up in my mind, that's how much space the emotion will take up in my heart. Let's go on to the next line of circles. If I would believe that walking in the rain is the most pleasant experience in the world, it's the most comfortable, pleasurable activity you can engage in. It's walking in the rain. There's nothing as ah oh, blissful walking in the rain. Yeah. If, if, if I think that it's the most comfortable thing in the rain, then obviously I think it's a good thing. And I might, and if I think it's a, the most comfortable thing, then I believe it very strongly. It's a, it might be a four or a three. And then if I need to walk out into the rain, I'll feel good about it. What might I do next? I'll walk into the rain with a smile. 
By contrast, if I would believe that walking in the rain is extremely dangerous, it's so, so dangerous. Literally, you could get sick. You could get so sick. You could chas die, right? When I think that walking in the rain is good or bad, it's bad. On a scale from zero to five, you know, how do I, how do, how strongly I, however strongly I believe that it's dangerous, that's how strong I believe it's bad. And if I would need to walk out into the rain, how might I feel? Afraid, worried, concerned. And what might I do next? I might try to avoid walking in the rain. I might just not go. I might skip the party, skip the meeting, cancel the whole event. I can't go, right? Now, in each of the above situations, the rain might have been exactly the same, but our feelings and responses were completely different. What caused us to have different feelings and responses? Anybody? What caused us to have different feelings? It's our beliefs, right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Our past experiences, our beliefs, our trauma. Okay. Let's move on to the next page. Now, how do we become aware of our beliefs? Um, I, I, we're we're, we're going to try to speed up a little bit. So I want to leave time for questions and more discussion beyond the worksheets. Okay. So our beliefs have a very strong impact on the quality of our lives. So it's important to be aware of what we believe. And many of us, like I said before, we don't have awareness of what we believe because we don't think they're beliefs. We think they're facts. Who thinks about the facts? So how are we going to gain awareness of our beliefs? Whenever you're experiencing an intense emotion, there's always a belief waiting to be discovered. So slow down and notice the words that are playing in your mind. And here are some key words to look for. Num key, key words, yeah. First of all, should or supposed to. Every time you hear the word should, the word should is very often part of a word, okay? He should have taken out the garbage. That's why I'm annoyed. And then, and then once you find your rule, you could then in the next page, we'll say, well, let's see, is that really, um, okay, I'm not going there. First, let's, let's get the rule, okay? I should be doing this, that's why. And if I'm not, then I feel like I violated my rule. Um, you're supposed to be doing something else. You know, it's so easy for us to look around the world and see all the things that everybody should be doing and could be doing and was supposed to be doing. Okay, if and then, many of our rules come up in our minds as if and then. If, if she said that, then she's for sure a terrible, mean, horrible person. If I made that mistake, I am a terrible, horrible, mean person. If he forgot my birthday, then he doesn't care about me. Okay. These are rules that we kind of make up and we assume they are facts. If I felt, unco if I felt uncomfortable in the situation, that means the situation was dangerous. That person was dangerous. We don't realize that maybe, maybe there was something else going on. Who says just obviously if you're uncomfortable, it could be it's there's something in the other person, but maybe it's just something in me. Maybe it's my own security coming up. So awareness is so important. A strong definitive words. If you ever hear yourself say, everybody does this, nobody does that. You know, I must, I absolutely have to go. You want to stop and be aware what you just said. Seriously, you must. Everybody does it. You, there's no such thing. Really, who said? It's a belief. It's not a fact. 
just knowing that it's a belief liberates you of the compulsion to obey it. Because once you're compelled to obey it, you know, if it's a fact, it's a fact, it's unchangeable, but just knowing that it's a belief gives you room to play with it. Really? Maybe I could adjust that a little bit. Maybe I could make that work for me. Maybe that's not even true. Maybe I've been carrying around. Maybe she's not such a mean person just because she said that. Maybe just that's her way of talking. Again, nobody should use this to excuse or tolerate or perpetuate abuse. Hashem Yishmar, nobody should do that. I'm talking about regular situations, the stress, the conflict in day-to-day -day relationships with our husbands, with our children, with ourselves, with our bosses, with our coworkers, with our community members, our typical insecurities, fears, and weaknesses. Okay, next page. Behind every strong emotion, again, there's a belief waiting to be dis discovered. So if there's a strong emotion, pause and listen. And here are some examples of how people discovered their beliefs. So Esther's, I'm just going to say one. Esther's husband came home 15 minutes late. Now, Esther, when she was a child, her father left the house and never was seen again. When she was six years old, he left the house. He abandoned the family. Okay, now she's happily married to a wonderful, caring, devoted man. And one day he comes home 15 minutes late and she looks at him and she screams. And this is crazy. I was waiting for you. I hated it. It's not normal. It's absolutely, it's, this, it's terrible. It's, it's, how could you do that to me? And her husband was shocked. Like, whoa, whoa, totally disproportionate reaction. His look of shock made her even angrier. If you have ever been in this situation, you know exactly what I mean, right? What do you mean you don't get it? What do you, why are you looking at me? Why are you minimizing my pain? You're minimizing my emotions? What is this? You're, why are you acting as if you did nothing wrong? You know exactly what you did. It was terrible. Whew. Later on, she calmed herself down, took a deep breath, and she decided to look inside her mind and just think about what she had been thinking. And she found her rule. A husband should come home on time. And if he doesn't, then he is abandoning the family. So his 15 minutes late triggered that rule in her mind that was really part of her childhood trauma that was unresolved. And she felt that same measure of abandonment that she felt as a kid. He, he didn't abandon them. He was, he was working 15 extra minutes to take better care of her or because maybe he needed to pick something up or maybe he was taking care of something for himself. But for sure, he didn't abandon her. So you see how important it is to become aware because without that awareness, she cannot even begin to start the process of looking inside, of healing, of getting past, separating the past from the present, of separating our beliefs from the actual facts, and of allowing our mind to pick up our little bruised heart and have a conversation and calm it down and say, oh, that's how you feel. Oh, I'm so sorry you feel that, but maybe consider this and maybe consider that. And then the heart says, no, but it really hurts. And you can have a conversation with your mind and your heart. But it all begins with having awareness of what is going on in our minds. Uh, with our hearts, it's easier to have awareness. But for many people, it's also helpful to ask themselves, and I don't have a worksheet about this, but if you're not aware of your emotions, sometimes it might be helpful. Take out a journal, take out a piece of paper, 
take out a keep note or take out an email and write it all down. However you, however you process a pen on a paper um, or on a computer, however you do it, scribble it down, just get it all out. Of, so you just to have awareness of what is going on in your mind and in your heart, because awareness is the beginning of all change. It's where the light turns on. Suddenly what you're tripping over is something you could see and then you could step around it. Oh, that's what was giving me so much pain. Oh, in the dark, it might've looked like a scary monster, but when you took turn on the light, you see, oh, that's just something from my past. It's actually nothing to do from the present and you can let it go. You can let it heal. So awareness is a huge part of the process. I'm gonna leave worksheet number five. I'm gonna encourage you to do it on your own. When you're experiencing an intense emotion, take a moment to listen to what's playing in your mind and discover your rules, okay? What happened, write it down. What was the facts of the situation? And what was the emotion? How did you feel? And then try to think about what rule was honored? What rule was violated? What made you feel good? Honored means it was honored because you feel good with a positive emotion, a very positive emotion. It means that some a, a rule that you had was honored. Like if you're feeling really dis, I, I once had this where I was feeling so good because of a compliment that I got. And I looked into my heart and I was like, what, what rule? And looked into myself and I was like, whoa, you're feeling so good just because of a compliment? What's going on in your mind? And I realized that what was going on in my mind is that getting a compliment from that person meant that I was worthy. And that gave me so much awareness of how little I really was attached to my own worthiness, how little I held onto it of my own choice. And I was totally leaving it to other people to define it. It's, it's normal to feel good about a compliment. But if on a scale from zero to 10, I was feeling a 20, right? People goodness is a gift. Um, compliments are gifts. We love it. But if it's a uh, a proof of our testimony, of, of our worthiness, instead of a reminder that somebody else appreciates our worthiness, it's a whole different story, right? I was using it as a proof, oh, yay, that means I'm worthy, which showed me that I was, I needed to do work to take ownership and really identify with my own sense of worthiness. And then I could appreciate the compliment or the, you know, for what it is, just a friendly hug. A uh, 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 nice people goodness, an extra cherry on the top of my cake, but my cake is enough, is strong on its own. Okay, so this is a fantastic question and I'm sure that everybody else has it. I wanna repeat the question for the benefit of the recording. You're asking, what I understand is I'm hearing two things. First of all, how do I, it's very easy for me to believe in my worthiness, but what if the people around me contradict or deny that? What if they're giving me yeah. other how do I believe that I am worthy when people around me have other ideas of about me? Number two is when um, when they have an expectation and I don't meet that expectation, then in their eyes, I am a failure and I am not good enough because I am not meeting their expectations. So how do I it at a time when someone else really has evidence, proof in black and white that I am not good enough. And I love this question because this is exactly what we're talking about. First of all, I wanna validate what you're saying is every single person's experience. First of all, society at large tells us we're not good enough. We're constantly 
you know, they say compare is despair, right? But we're constantly mm -hmm. just reading a magazine, a Jewish magazine, okay? You are exposing mm -hmm. yourself to being, to comparing yourself to everything that everybody has that you do not have, okay? On a level of things. And you read biographies. You read articles about these people, this amazing person and that amazing person. What you're reading is article that was edited 16 times by 16 different family members. They are not going to put in any of her weaknesses. So this is everybody's struggle. Now, if your husband thinks you're not good enough, if your husband blames you for his bad mood, if your husband blames you for, you know, there's a, you know, there's a problem with one of our kids. Oh, he's just like your mother. So just like your brother, that's, that's why so terrible. Just like you, you know, this is exactly what you do. And now I have to deal with it in our kid. If your husband does that to you, that's very difficult. Or if your husband expects you to have a perfectly clean house, you know, or expects you to have certain things done or be a person that you're not, it's extremely, extremely challenging. And I just wanted to say that out loud. So it's not your question. It's everybody's question. And the answer is that two things. First of all, we have to hold on to our truth, our worthiness in a way that is so strong and so absolute and so tight that it's unshakable. And from that place of worthiness and dignity, we are actually able to hear criticism. See, I know for myself, from the perspective, from my place of worthiness, I could all of a sudden hear criticism with grace. You know why? Because in the past, when I didn't own my worthiness, if my husband would tell me some, would point something out to me that where I really made a mistake, where I really did make a mistake, I would be so deeply hurt. You know why? Imagine you have a, you have a tower of, of, you know, those pyramids that you make out of cups. Anybody ever make pyramids out of cups? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if there's no strong foundation, yeah. When you knock down anywhere on the pyramid, the whole thing comes down. My whole self-worth was like a pyramid. So when he criticized me, there was nothing left. I was the pyramid. Now it's like, I have a strong foundation. I'm the rock. My worthiness is the rock. My worthiness is that is the foundation. So when he criticizes criticizes me or somebody else criticizes me or reality itself criticizes me because I did make a mistake and I failed in a certain way. I can look at it and say, oh, they, and it's not going to touch my worthiness. So therefore I could be open to hearing it. I could be open to learning it. I could say, oh, my goodness, next time I better be more careful. But once it's touching my worthiness, I am in defense mechanism is totally high. I am, I become like a tiger protecting my identity, protecting my dignity. How dare you dishonor me? How dare you rip me apart? How dare you take away my value? My, my, how you, how dare you wipe the floor with me, right? I am not wipe. I'm not, I'm not abusable by anyone, by anything. I'm not wipe the floorable. I'm not schmatifiable. <laughs> it's not, it's not possible because that part of me is a rock. It's solid with Hashem's help. 
and with consistent work, with doing, that's what I'm talking about it because it, it inspires me. It gives me strength. It anchors me more firmly in this truth. And we need to do this. We need to say Ani every single day. Thank Hashem, acknowledge Hashem's truth, own, consciously take ownership of the light that he's giving us every single day. Proactively start off the day with the meditation that Hashem is right now giving us worthiness. And every time we say a bracha, own it. Say drink it slowly. Think about the fact that Hashem is giving you this water, refreshing your body, refreshing your soul, whatever. Think about what you want to live by. Write it down and think about it a couple of times a day. So what I'm saying is that if you're, if you, the more criticism you, spe, you, you, you deal with, the more toxicity in your life, the more strongly you need to hold on to the truth. That being said, again, I do not want anybody to use this as a license to perpetuate, you know, truly abusive situations. So if you're not sure, reach out, ask me, Sterna at Energized living.org tell you something there's actions that give you more aware nothing could change your connection with your neshama the neshama is constantly connected to us nothing can break that connection very important to know what could happen is we could become less aware of it or more aware of it do you hear the difference our energy that we get from hashem could have more charge or less charge the more aware we are of Hashem, the more charged the energy is, the bigger the flow, the more we experience it. But it's always there. Excellent question. I'm going to repeat it for the, for the recording. So what you're asking is, maybe thinking that I'm not good enough is actually a good thing because it gets me to change. Like, for example, in that neighbor, the story that we said with Hani and her dirty skirt, like, maybe if I would feel bad that my skirt is dirty maybe next time i would make sure to have a clean skirt we tend to think that if we need to feel shame in order to change but shame actually mm. locks us into our weaknesses because i am a mess i will oh i was a mess yesterday i will always be a mess i will never get it right that's kind of where where our logic takes us that's that's where that line of reasoning goes somebody actually shared a real story with me about this She's, she's an artist and she tends to be messy, she said, in her kitchen. And she was taking this course with us a bunch, a couple of years ago. And she shared this exact example. She said, usually, so she opens up the closet, her kitchen cabinet, and a whole shelf worth of stuff. If you know how, you know, when you stuff things in, then you open it, it all comes tumbling out. It's like the same yeah. thing with emotions. You stuff it in, I'm not dealing with you. And then it opens out, you open it and it, everything comes tumbling out like a, like a, a massive av avalanche uh, storming you, whatever, drowning you in it. But so she opened her kitchen cabinet and everything came tumbling out. And her first thought was, I am such a slob. And she always called herself a slob because she believed she was a messy person. It went along with her personality. And then she stopped. Because she was taking this course, so she realized she was like, wait, I just called myself a name. I just had a belief about myself. I'm a slob. I'm not a slob. I have the power of choice. I could, I, I don't have to be a slob, actually. I could, you know, I could clean this. And and she did. She said, five minutes, I'm gonna do this. And she rearranged that kitchen cabinet, threw out whatever didn't belong there, you know, put 
washed whatever needed to be washed. Totally rearranged, organized. She spent five minutes on it, not more than 10 minutes on it. She said she felt so good about it. She said in the past, she would say, I'm such a slob. <gasps> Just put everything back and continue being a slob. But stopping to realize, hey, I'm not a slob actually. I have a choice. I'm a chooser. In the past, I chose messiness, but I don't have to choose that. My, I might choose messiness tomorrow, but right now I am a chooser and I'm going to choose to have a clean kitchen cabinet. And she did that just to prove it to herself. But do you see what I'm saying? When you have shame, it locks you into your unhealthy, unproductive, self-destructive patterns of behavior. But when you have choice, when you feel good about yourself, when you feel empowered, when you feel dignity, you know, dignified, I am respectable, then you act respectable. And you, from that place, you're really empowered to, to make choices that are good for you and good for the people around you and productive and meaningful and, you know, make a, make a difference. Did you ever clean your house because somebody respectable was coming to visit? If you're the respectable person that's coming to visit, then you clean it up because you're respectable. And that same thing goes with everyone. I'm a nice person. So I want to act nicer. I want to be nicer. I want to yes. be more compassionate. Yes. I want to give more. Not because I'm not good enough if I don't give, but because I'm good enough, I want to give more. So there's a very big difference between being a better writer or being a better singer or being naturally more organized in your thinking or in your behavior than being a better person. Just because your house is cleaner doesn't make you a better person. Just because you're skinnier doesn't make you a better person. Just because you're married to a Talmud Chacham actually does not make you a better person. It makes you more blessed. If you're rich, you're more blessed. If you're smarter, you're more blessed. If you do more, if you made more good choices in your life, you're more blessed. You're not better. You're not better. Feeling good about ourselves doesn't mean now I am better than somebody else. You're blessed. Hashem gave you the kaya. Hashem gave you the wisdom. Hashem gave you the positioning. Hashem gave you the education. Hashem gave you, Hashem gave you that blessing. It's a blessing. It's a bracha from mm -hmm. Hashem. Doesn't make you better. It makes you more obligated. Yeah. We each have our own mountain to climb. We have, we're not all on the same mountain. Some of us have very rocky paths. You have no idea the challenges that that person has. You're not better than mm. her. You have no idea her challenges. You have no idea her darkness. You have no idea her mm. childhood trauma. You have no idea what she's up against just one foot in front of the other as she starts out on her day. You have no idea. We're so used to comparing ourselves, comparing our value only in comparison to others. But really, we only have to measure ourselves against ourselves. Moshe Rabbeinu was Adam because he realized that he didn't know. He knew he was the greatest Navi who had ever walked the face of this planet. He knew he was the wisest of all men. He knew that he had experiences that no man ever experienced in the history of mankind. He knew his awesomeness, but he felt humble. You know why? Because he recognized that it was all a gift from Hashem. And maybe if somebody else would have those blessings, who knows? Maybe they would do better with them. I'm just doing my best mm. with the tools that Hashem has given me. Nobody is better than me, and I am not better than anybody else.
it's it's just uh mm -hmm. it's a such a empowering liberating um liberating idea i want to wish everybody a wonderful shabbos thank you so much for joining and i'm really looking forward to being back next week and continuing